0: Thank you for leading us in prayer there, Brian. I think it was very timely as we started this morning and we were singing about bringing our cares uh, to the Lord. It uh, struck me that that's something that I need to do more often And then, uh, rather than trying to carry the weight of the world on my shoulder, which sometimes I try to do, not too successfully. I'm not quite sure the significance of a double... Double bubble cartoon up here, but I promise you it 's not my sermon notes oh, 'll we'll remove that. that. I want to begin this morning by talking begin with a topic that i 'm sure many of you are getting sick of uh, and wish that we 'd talk about something else. Um, however, it is a reality and something that we 're faced with every day and continue to be faced with, uh, and that is the covid pandemic. Uh, I was reminded of that um, on, uh, on Friday. I was had a haircut scheduled in Pontypool with a, a lady that runs a haircutting business out of her home. And uh, she texted Allison to say that maybe I shouldn't come because her husband works at a place in Whitby that just had an outbreak of COVID. Uh, and uh, he's fine but needs to be tested. And um, I went, wow, that's still a reality and... and uh, Fortunately, he got tested and it was negative, so I got my haircut. Um, and uh, also, the uh, the lady I was telling you about last week, my sister in law's cousin's daughter, who is just in her early thirties, who was in hospital uh, and uh, was on ninety percent oxygen. Uh, happy to report that they are going to take all oxygen off today, and they're hoping that she'll be able to go home. Uh, so that is a real uh, answer to prayer. But. COVID-19 is a reality, and I think we would all agree that it has changed the world that we live in, and it's changed the way that we live. Uh, I think some of us would agree with those who say that COVID has turned the world upside down, Uh, and this is the new normal, and things are never going to go back to what they used to be like. Uh, we could probably spend all morning, and we're not going to, because I know that COVID, and we even talked about this at, at, at one of our elders' meetings. That you know, people got to be sick and tired and bored of always hearing about COVID this and and, and COVID that, and so we're not going to talk all morning about how COVID has affected the way that we live but we probably could and we could probably list you know those of you who are here could probably make a list of the way that our life has changed and the way the world has changed and those of you at home could probably make your own list off the top of my head I was just trying to think of some of the ways that my life has changed or in our own family's life and uh, you know working from home Uh, I used to spend two days a week in the States and one day a week at least in Toronto and and try to get all the desk work I needed to get done in the couple of days that I would work from my home office. And for the last year and a half, I've mainly been working in what I call the basement dungeon uh, with the crickets uh, and uh, not being able to travel like I enjoy to do. And so just life has changed. I was reading a statistic that 42% of uh, workers in the USA uh, have been working from home. And so there's offices that are shuttering and shutting down for good. uh, And really, it's created a two tier class of uh, workforce or another two-tier workforce, those who are able to work from home and, and those who can't uh, work from home. The job requires that they still go to uh, a different place for employment. Uh, remote learning, uh, which was uh, a reality for all four of our kids, uh, two in university, one across the, in the UK, and then uh, Jack uh, and Graham uh, at their schools, uh, just watching the school system try to teach kids remotely over computers, and I'm sure we all got our opinions on that, but that really changed uh, life. Uh, Experts talk about our distorted sense of time. And I'm sure every one of us has found ourselves in the last year and a half uh, in a day, not knowing what day it was, and not even knowing what time it was, because they say that because uh, so much of our routine uh, is grounded in time, whether it be birthdays or deaths or different celebrations uh, or when we're supposed to be at work, when we're supposed to be at school. When you take all that away, it distorts our sense of time. And, and, and so it's okay if you found yourself not remembering what day it was, what week it was, what month it was maybe, because uh, that's what COVID has done uh, to us, um, we all hear about mental illness and how it has ramped up and, and, and increased and, and the effects and the impacts have multiplied. So people that have suffered with uh, addictions and isolation and, and um, loneliness and, and stress, uh, it's been hugely impacted by COVID. Uh, and again, we could go on and on and on, but that's, that's not my intent. But I think it's, it's fair to say that the world we live in and the way that we live has changed significantly. It's been altered significantly, and it almost seems like it happened overnight, like March, a year and a half ago, or whatever it is, when all of a sudden life changed as we knew it. And the church and the way we do church hasn't been spared from the impact of COVID. Uh, Christian worship that's long been... Uh, Characterized by many uh, by its adherence to tradition has been significantly altered by covid and again, we could spend all morning listing all the ways that church and the way that we do church uh, has changed I mean online services the fact that there are some of you who are looking at us and through and i 'm staring at you at an iphone uh, is is radically different. Uh, The fact that we went from trying to figure out ways to get more people in the building to figuring out how we could limit the number of people we had in the building uh, to a point where we didn't have anyone in the building, we were actually running services from people's homes, uh, obviously is a radical difference and change in the way that we do church. Zoom Bible studies that I'm sure many of you got sick of doing everything over Zoom, a radical change in the way that we do church Having to wear masks, not being able to do communion, not being able to sing, being a, a, an artist standing at the front, having to stand behind plexiglasses if you're in a penalty box. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Having a chasm, as the deacons remind us, in the middle of our sanctuary, having blue arrows telling us which way to go, ending our service, not with a benediction, but with having our pictures taken and being instructed to sanitize and yes oh hand sanitizer that's a that's a change uh, in the way that we live right for many of us like especially if you go shopping in a mall and you go into each store and they make you sanitize your hands in every store uh, it's just changes everything Um, a worshiper in the U.S. lamented that things will never be the change the pandemic has changed the church and the way we do church Forever. So we find ourselves in a world that's changed. Our way of life has changed. And the church and the way we do church has changed. And I don't know about you, but it feels like we're on real shaky ground. And we've lost a lot of stability. And yet there's one thing that hasn't changed one thing that COVID can't touch. And that is the truth and the foundations of our faith. And as we move into a new ministry year, as we find ourselves still in the middle of a pandemic, uh, as we consider what can we possibly look at as we move into the fall for a sermon series, the elders decided but it would be a really good idea Spend this fall looking at those foundations of our faith. Those truths that give us stability, that ground us regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves. Regardless of finding ourselves in the middle uh, of a pandemic. And so we've titled the series, Regroup, Faith Foundations Beyond a Pandemic. Beyond the Pandemic or Beyond the Pandemic? We spent more time coming up with this sermon series title than probably any sermon series title that I can remember of over in the last uh, number of years. And, And every part is significant and thought out. So regroup. Why the word regroup? Because I think COVID is kind of like a train that's run over all of us. And as a church, we need to get back up on our feet and, and rub the dirt and the dust off us and give our head a shake. So regroup. Faith foundations so those truths of the faith that not even COVID can change. Faith foundations beyond the pandemic or a pandemic. And we say beyond a pandemic because we weren't even really sure. Are we near the end of the pandemic? Are we still in the middle of a pandemic? Is this going to last? We don't know. But all we do know is that these faith foundations don't change and will prevail through even the COVID pandemic. And so the series title, Regroup, Faith Foundations Beyond the Pandemic. And then every week, our sermon title is going to be, What We Believe About blank. And so we are going to look at what we believe about God. What we believe about sin, what we believe about hope, what we believe about good news, what we believe about the future, what we believe about trust, what we believe about worship, service, thanksgiving. I think I've listed pretty well all the week's titles. And this morning, we're going to look at what we believe about the church. And I've encouraged the other elders as we participate in this series, each one of those topics is huge. Paul's going to be looking at what we believe about God next week. Uh, and that could be about a 20-hour presentation that could go really deep. Uh, and so I've encouraged them, let's, let's narrow it down. Uh, let, let's make it bite-size, and let's make it practical. And so this morning, we're going to look at what do we believe about the church, but specifically, I want to look at what we believe about the church and its mission, or what we believe about the mission of the church. And the word mission is a word that we've thrown around Auburn for a number of years, for, for as long as I've been here. Uh, and uh, we've talked about mission, and, and I think it's a really relevant topic, especially as we find ourselves dealing with the impact of COVID. Uh, especially as we're dealing with uh, the, the attendance, uh, declining attendance, uh, the fact that some of you are here, some of you are watching on Zoom. Sometimes we're not even sure who's connecting with us. Uh, and it's extremely relevant uh, to talk about the mission of the church, specifically the mission of Auburn, uh, as we find ourselves in the middle of a, a search for a, a new lead pastor, which, as I shared last week, has been quite discouraging for the search team, trying to find someone in the middle uh, of a pandemic. And again, I continue, uh, encourage you to continue praying uh, for uh, the search team. And so what is the mission uh, of the church and we talk about mission, and perhaps that's a word you're not even really quite sure what I mean when I say what's the mission of the church. What we're asking is what is the fundamental purpose of the church? Our mission answers the question, why do we exist? And as I said, it's a really relevant question for Auburn. In fact, it's, it's a tough question. It's a challenging question. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? Are we being relevant? Should we carry on? What is the mission of the church? And as I thought of that challenge that I gave to Brian and Paul to to try to narrow down such large topics and make it bite-sized and and practical and something that people can take things home with, I tried to think of what passage can we look at that explains the purpose, the mission of the church uh, as a whole, as a a local expression, as uh, what's our purpose and, and, and mission as individual believers that make up a local expression of the body of Christ. And I was reminded of an occurrence that took place, it was probably three or four years ago, and I was working in the office, and I was walking up, and it was after the Easter week, probably two weeks after the Easter weekend, and the cross was still sitting out. And I was thinking about the purpose of the church um, and the mission of the church. And I also thought, I wonder how long they're gonna leave the cross sitting out this year, and who's gonna put it away? And it hit me, perhaps one of the most clear passages in Scripture where Jesus himself talks about the purpose and mission of the church is words that he gave his followers right after the events of the death and resurrection. And it hit me then and it it still uh, hits me today that there's a real strong connection between the events and the impact of the resurrection of Jesus and the final instructions that he gave his followers before he left. And the passage that came to mind that day and the passage I want to share with you this morning uh, is Matthew 28. So if you've got your Bible, just turn right to the very end of Matthew. If you hit Mark, just turn the page back and we're going to look at the last chapter uh, of Matthew. And just for a little bit of context, I'm going to begin reading uh, Matthew 28 verse 1. But we're going to be mainly focusing uh, on the last verses uh, of uh, chapter 28. So Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know what you are looking for, that that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, "'Do not be afraid. "'Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. "'There they will see me.'" And then we move down to verse 16. And it says, "'Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, "'to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go.'" And so as we get to the end of Matthew's account, we are taken to a mountain setting uh, somewhere in Galilee. And this is a meeting that was called before Jesus was put to death. If you go back to Matthew 26, where Jesus predicts Peter's denial, he tells them uh, that after I've risen, I'll be going to Galilee. Come and see me there. And then we've read twice uh, in the earlier verses in Matthew 28 that Jesus says, after I've risen, I'll be going to Galilee ahead of you. Come and meet me there. Twice we see that written. And so here we are in Galilee on the side of a mountain uh, and the meeting has been called and the meeting has taken place. A lot of scholars believe that this is the time where when Paul in 1 Corinthians says that Jesus appeared first to Peter, then he appeared to the disciples, and then he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Many scholars believe that what Paul is referring to is what takes place at the end of Matthew 28. Now, Matthew only mentions the 11, uh, probably because the the topic was specifically focusing around them at the moment. But it's not hard to imagine a lot of scholars think it's a couple of weeks that Jesus has already been risen from the dead when this event takes place. It's not hard to imagine that word has gone out that Jesus has risen uh, and he's going to be meeting uh, his disciples on a mountain somewhere in Galilee uh, and so that more uh, than just the 11 show up. Uh, and you could just imagine what that crowd would be like. 500 followers, of Jesus, curious people about Jesus, those who are confused and bewildered about what has taken place, some who are doubting what 's actually taken place, those who are afraid, those who are outcasts, those who are uh, got a lot of baggage, and all these five hundred people, including the eleven disciples, are gathered on this mountain. why because Jesus told them to meet him there. And Jesus appears, and what he says to them would radically alter and define the way that they would live and the way that all the followers of Jesus after that time would live forever. Some would say that these are some of the most important words that Jesus has for his followers. They're words that are studied, memorized, uh, obeyed, pondered. We know them as the Great Commission. Specifically, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These words from Jesus to his followers are the marching orders for the church of Jesus Christ. They give us the blueprint and the foundation for the movement that's established after Jesus is gone. And why would I say that? Perhaps they are some of the most important words that Jesus had for his followers. Well, I want to give you three reasons. And the first reason is, is simple. These are the final words of Jesus that are recorded in Matthew, and and, and we realize often that final, last words are really important. It often reveals what's closest to a person's heart. And here the final words of Jesus that Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes for us is the Great Commission. We often say it's the end of Matthew's book. I think it's kind of wrong to say it's the end of the book. Not totally accurate. I think more accurately, we would say it's the climax of Matthew's book. This, this is what Matthew has been building up all along through what he has written. And it's where the ministry and the life of Jesus has been moving as well. So why are these words important? Because they're the final last words of Jesus given to his followers, at least as recorded uh, in Matthew. And second reason why these words are important is because it, lets us know what's expected of us as followers. As I said, these are the marching orders for the church. There's no question left. We don't have to wonder what it is that Jesus wants his followers to do. I don't know about you if you've ever been in a situation where you've been invited to an event, a work party, uh, a new job, and you get to the location and there's no one there to explain what, what you're there to do. Uh, That happened to me way back in high school. I signed up for a a March break job uh, where we were going to be 20, 25 students putting together some package for a conference that was coming up. And 25 of us showed up to this big warehouse uh, that was filled with tables and brochures and we sat there and we stared at each other. And after about an hour, we're still sitting there and staring at each other because there was no one there to tell us what to do. We had no idea what our purpose was. But this isn't the case here. Jesus makes it very clear what the purpose and the mission of the church is. But having said that, I think at times it's a little confusing what the answer to the question, "What is the mission of the church?" is? Because when you look at different churches, the answer seems different. Some churches, if you were to, even in Peterborough, if you went into a church in Peterborough, you may feel that the purpose that church exists is for fellowship. It is a place to make Christian friends. It's a place to find mentors. Uh, It's a place uh, to socialize with other like-minded people. Uh, it's, It's a place to hang out. It's a place where we can cultivate love and sharing. It would appear that the primary purpose of the church is fellowship. But then you could go down the street to another church in Peterborough and you would discover that perhaps the primary purpose of the church is teaching. Putting out sound doctrine. Growing strong Christians, teaching them and, and discipling them. And so you think that the primary purpose of the church must be teaching. So there's fellowship and there's teaching, but then you walk down the street a bit further and you go into a church and it's apparent that the primary purpose of the church must be praising God. Praising God for who he is and, and for what he's done. And, and they do an excellent job in, in facilitating the, the praise of God. Uh, there's probably other answers uh, as you look at different churches and, and the way that they do church. What is the primary purpose? Why do they exist? Well, it's for fellowship. It's for teaching. It's for praise. And, and, and all those things sound good. Uh, maybe one's the right answer and two of them aren't quite as right of an answer. I heard John MacArthur say, uh, talking on this very topic about what the purpose of the church is, and is it about fellowship? Is it about teaching? Is it about praise? And and he kind of surprised me at first until he explained himself uh, with what he had to say, and I wrote it down here somewhere. He said, all of these things are essential in the church, but none of them and not all of them in combination are the mission of the church or the purpose of the church or the goal of the church or the objective of the church. None of them is why we are here. None of them. I thought, how does he say that? MacArthur then went on to explain, he says, if, if the purpose of the church, the reason that we are here is fellowship, then why wouldn't God just zap us up to heaven? Because that's where true fellowship is going to take place. And if it was teaching, If that was the reason, the primary function of of a local body of believers is is to be taught, well, why doesn't God just zap us up to heaven where we can learn so much more? And the same with praise. If If that is the primary reason that we are here is to praise, well, then why wouldn't God just zap us up to heaven as soon as we gave our life over to him? What better place to praise God than with the heavenly choir? So what is the mission of the church? Why do we exist? What is the primary function of the church? And to answer that, I think we have to take one step back. That's why I had Brian read from Ephesians chapter one this morning. To understand what the primary func- uh, mo- mission of the church is, we have to understand what God's motive is for the church. Why are we? Are, why are we who we are, and why are we to be what we are to be? What was God's motive? And if you got your Bible, flip back or flip forward uh, to Ephesians chapter one again. And I want you to notice something. This is not, this isn't my creation. Ephesians one, and we, we read these verses last week before communion. Ephesians 1, look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined for his adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And catch this. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And then go down to verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, listen again, might be for the praise of his glory. Paul continues, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, and hear it again, to the praise of his glory. That's the unified purpose for the church. It's for the praise of the glory of God. That we, the church, are to reflect and to testify the glory, the greatness, the majesty, the beauty, the perfections of God. That's the motive. God's motive for the church is for his glory. And so what mission flows out of this motive? Or what is the mission that flows out of this motive? Well, we find the answer by looking at redemption history. And redemption history, starting way back in Genesis, right up till today, is a story of God taking the initiative, reaching out in grace and mercy and love to lost and sinful men and women, boys and girls, reaching out to them and bringing them into right relationship with him. Adopting them into his own family transforming their lives, creating new lives. And what Paul tells us in Ephesians, that when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who is lost in sin, who is at enmity with God, who can never on their own be in right standing with God, when God brings them into right relationship, when God saves them, he is glorified. It is a reflection and it's a testimony of the glory of God. His beauty, his perfection, his greatness, his majesty. And so the motive of the church, for the church, is the glory of God. The mission of the church is to partner with God in winning those who are lost to the Savior, to the praise of God's glory. And that's the pattern we find in the Bible. Sinful man, God reaches out, takes the initiative, wins them to himself for his glory. Then God, demonstrating his love, sends his son to die on a cross to deal with sin forever, to win people to himself To the glory of the Father. And then Jesus leaves this earth and he instructs his followers, the church, the body of Christ. To have that same sacrificial love that Jesus had. That same commitment and zeal to see those who are lost. One to the Savior. To the praise of the glory of God. Why are these words so important at the end of Matthew 28? It's the marching order for the church. This is our blueprint. This is our foundation. This explains why we exist. Uh, And then finally, why are these words important? Because they weren't just for the 11. They weren't just for the 500 that possibly were there. They are for every follower of Jesus, for every time, Sorry, for all time, for all places, regardless of the circumstances. This is our mission, to partner with God in his effort to win lost sinners to himself. And that's why the mission statement of Albert says to invite people to know God personally and participate in his plan to rescue the world from sin through his son, Jesus, that's our mission statement. That's the mission of our local expression. But that's the mission of the church, to partner with God, to see people saved. Those far away from God brought back to God. Those who don't know God come into a a, a right relationship with God. That's the mission. And yet sometimes I think it's the mission impossible. And I say that because there are many followers of Jesus and I put myself in this category at times who can go through a day, a week, a month and maybe even a year and not even give thought to what our purpose is as believers and what our purpose is as a church. And we got our reasons, we do. I got my reasons. I can get so busy, I just don't think about it. I can get so consumed with, with the, the activities and the events of what's going on inside the church, I forget what's going on outside of the church. Some of us are content just with what we get out of church now. We're not really ready or willing to give more. Some of us don't think we are suitable, have what it takes for God to actually use, to partner with in this great work of seeing lives transformed. Transformed. And yet Jesus gives us such encouraging words in these last few verses in the Great Commission. And I want to leave you with three thoughts from these words. If we are going to be successful at Auburn at carrying out our mission, if we as individual believers are going to be successful in partnering with God and seeing men and women come to Jesus in faith, There's two prerequisites that I see in these last few verses. And the first one is simply a willingness and eagerness to serve. This crowd, made up of a whole hodgepodge of people, some great orators, some who probably stumbled over their words, those who were considered outcasts, they all came. They were all willing to hear the words of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus asked them to be there. They were willing to serve. They were eager to serve. And can I be frank? And I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. If Auburn is going to carry out its mission, we need everyone. Our numbers are much lower than they have been. We need everyone to have a willingness and an eagerness to serve. We can't carry out even a small number of ministries with the number of people that, that we need to volunteer that we just don't have. We're, we're in talks right now with Youth Unlimited about doing something that's really exciting to reach the youth uh, in in this area. Uh, but it's gonna need volunteers. There's a lot of you who have great capabilities. We need your Willingness and eagerness to serve. The kingdom needs you to be willing and eager to serve. And the second prerequisite that I see here is a heart of worship. I love the honesty of Matthew. He says the 11, and I believe there's 511 that were gathered there, plus more. uh, And it says that some doubted. But I have a feeling that after Jesus appears and after Jesus speaks to them, a lot of that doubt subsided. You see, if we're going to successfully carry out our mission, we need to be willing to serve. We, we, we have to have a heart of worship. Like if we don't recognize the worth and the greatness of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, then, then we're probably not gonna be too concerned about the people that don't know Jesus yet. But there's a great claim made in the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that just for a moment. All authority in heaven and in her I don't think there's a greater authority. And it's all given to Jesus. So the one who has all authority says, here's the marching orders. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your purpose. Here's your mission. And if you've got any reservations, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And could you imagine what God could do through a group of people who are willing to serve and have a heart of worship who actually believe that claim that all authority belongs to Jesus and he's with us always. They could turn the world upside down. Forget about COVID turning the world upside down. And this 500 group of plus people made up of a whole bunch of different walks of life Turned the world upside down. Began a movement that continues today that God uses to change the lives of those who are hopefully lost in sin. And my prayer for us at Auburn is that we uh, will have the desire and the motivation to carry out our mission here at Auburn and in our community to the praise and the glory of God.